While you're taking your seat, I would encourage you to turn in your copy of the Scriptures or the one in the pew rack in front of you to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. If you're using the pew Bible, you'll find today's Scripture lesson on page 1116. 1116. We're looking in our continuing study at Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians at chapter 15 uh, today, verses 1 through 11, the passage that Pastor Dave read uh, to us a few moments ago. I'd like to call your attention to verses 3 through 5 first, uh, where Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. As Paul ends his letter, he's been spending 14 chapters here looking at a variety of issues. But as he nears home plate and begins to conclude his thoughts to the Corinthians, he brings them back to things that are of central and fundamental importance. And even today, the Spirit is calling us to remember the fundamentals of our faith the Christian faith, as followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you saw it, but this past week in the Erie Times News, there was a story about the recent report of our Commonwealth's Department of Education in which uh, it measured uh, the progress of various school systems uh, in our counties uh, that surround the Erie area. It was interesting for me, and somewhat, I may say, a bit dismaying to me, to read that report, to realize how many of our schools are actually failing in teaching our young people about the fundamentals of history and literature and art. And uh, it was a, a bit, as I say, dismaying to me to understand just how many schools are not measuring up. And I know there are all kinds of complicating issues on that, so if you're an educator or uh, a school administrator, please don't take offense. But I think that probably as an educator, you would agree with me that we are facing an uphill battle in today's uh, society in training our young in the fundamentals in our school systems. It reminded me of an article Uh, that appeared uh, some years ago in the Washington Post that read like this. It said, American schools are producing students with startling gaps in knowledge of history and literature, teaching our students how to think without giving them anything to think about. The study said that 68% of high school students questioned in a survey were not able to place the Civil War in within the correct half century of time. I thought for a moment as I was preparing for this morning's message to maybe ask for a show of hands or calling out uh, of dates if you know when the Civil War took place. Shall I? I won't embarrass you. This same survey discovered that nearly 8,000 
17-year-olds could not place World War I in the correct, uh, 43% of them could not place World War I in the correct half century. 39% could not do the same for the writing of the U.S. Constitution. And nearly one-third of these 8,000 students surveyed did place the date of Columbus' discovery of the New World after 1750. That is startling to me. What happened to the rhyme we learned in elementary school? Columbus, say it with me, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. Something's wrong in our school systems when a third of 8,000 students, 17-year-olds, cannot even get close to the discovery of America. But before we become too harsh on school systems, let's think about how we're doing in the church. How are we at teaching the fundamentals of the Christian faith? I fear that if we would take an honest look, that we would discover that that many churches, possibly even our own here, our much beloved body of believers here at First Alliance, may not be measuring up when it comes to the fundamentals of our Christian faith. There's an interesting uh, study that's been conducted over the last couple of years by uh, Willow Creek Church in suburban Chicago and its association of thousands of churches that are a part of the Willow Creek Association. And they asked themselves, at least they had the courage and the guts to ask themselves the question, are what we're doing here, is it making any difference? Are we, are we really discipling believers? Are we equipping them for the Christian life? Are they understanding the basic tenets of the Christian faith? And as they conducted this study, alarmingly, they discovered that they were missing the mark. That that church and its association of churches were, for the most part, missing the mark when it came to the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Again, I give them credit for asking the question, is what we're doing here making any difference? But I wonder, would we be willing as a church to ask that question of ourselves? Do we understand the fundamentals, the basic building blocks of the Christian faith? Apparently, Paul had some concern about the Corinthians' ability to understand the fundamentals of the faith because as he concludes his letter to them, he takes them back to the very raw, basic data of Christian theology, doctrine, and faith. And he reminds them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I suppose my basic thesis this morning is very simple. But what I'm set out to do this morning is to remind us that the most important event in all of human history, I believe, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The greatest event in all of history is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because it is Christ's resurrection that serves as the culmination of 
the apex, the crowning work of God's saving work in history and His atoning work through His Son Jesus on the cross. Paul has spent 14 chapters talking to the church about some various problems in the life of the body, but as he nears the conclusion of his letter, he brings them back to the basic building blocks of their faith. And he says in verse 1, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news, the evangel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. He calls them back to that which he preached when he was in their midst. He calls them back to this fundamental stone and says, it is by this gospel that you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. It seems to me that Paul uses very straight, direct language here as he talks about these basic uh, uh, foundational stones of the gospel. He reviews for them the good news that good news that He had brought to them when He served as an evangelist, when He was in their midst and He lived in their midst. Paul was not the inventor of it. This Gospel had been delivered to him gloriously as he was on the Damascus Highway and and God revealed the risen Christ to him and his life was changed and transformed. The one who previously had wreaked havoc on the church and had persecuted the church and was present at the stoning of of Stephen, that the gracious work of God exploded before Paul's eyes. And the glory of God was so great that it tells us that he, he was blind. He could not see. Paul reminds them that this glorious gospel had changed his life and And it prompted him to go out and to share this gospel. And years earlier, when he was in their midst, that they had they had graciously received this good news. And he reminds them that this gospel was something in which they were now standing. It was foundational to their salvation. It was something by which they were saved. And I believe what Paul is doing here is getting down to the basics of the Christian faith. This, I think, is the essence of of our faith. It is something that we need to hold fast to and not stray from and not forget. This is, I think, bottom line truth. The gospel is not something to be handled haphazardly. It's the most important news that anyone can ever receive. And you and I, I think, need to be reminded more frequently about what the gospel is all about. We need to remember the basics of our faith. And so here are the basic building blocks of this Gospel. In verse 3, Paul speaks of Christ as the redeeming Christ, the One who saves. Look at what he says in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the first building block. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Paul reminds the Corinthians and us today that the death of Jesus Christ was not just an an incidental death, but that there was a great purpose, a sovereign purpose of God in sending His own Son to die for our sins. This is central to the Gospel that we preach. It was the great uh, Princeton professor, Dr. 
Archibald Alexander, who had been a preacher of the gospel for 40 years and had been a teacher of divinity students uh, for over 40 years as well. And on his deathbed, Dr. Alexander said to his friend, All my theology is reduced to this narrow compass. Alexander said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. My dear friends, we can add lots of other layers to Christian theology and doctrine. But when you distill it all down, when you boil it down to the very basic bottom line of the Christian faith, it begins with a redeeming Christ who's took our place, my place, your place on the cross at Calvary, and He died there on that cruel tree for our sins to pay the payment that I should have paid. The wrath of God was poured out on Him to save me from my sins, to save you from our sins. And oh, how often we've lost sight of the wonders of God's grace that He would take a rebel like me Someone as disobedient and unlovely as you, and by His grace, not that we deserved it, we deserved the wrath of God, but that He poured His grace out on us. And even before we, our eyes came open to this, He was drawing us to the Savior. This morning in our first service, I gave an opportunity during our closing prayer for anyone who would not come to faith in Christ. To, to pray a, the sinner's prayer, to invite Christ into their heart and life. And after the service, a, a middle-aged man, uh, his name was Bob. He came to me after the service and he said, Pastor, I want you to know that this is my first visit here, but I felt for many, many months, I've felt a, a strange drawing to the things of God. And he said, this morning when you were talking about the fact that, that God sent His Son to save us, to die for our sins. He said, it began, all the pieces began to come together. And I understood why I came here today. And, and I, I want, Pastor, I want to be that new creature in Christ Jesus that you're describing. My dear friends, I fear that sometimes we get caught up in theological and doctrinal trivia. And we forget the central truth of this glorious gospel that is ours. That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. This was no afterthought of God. It was not an incidental thing that just happened. No. Isn't it wonderful to know that before the foundations of the world were laid, that God had you on His heart and mind. He was thinking about you. And He he loved you so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, in human form to take on the sins of the world so that we might be saved. My dear friends, this is the first building block of the Gospel. Paul declared it in his letter to the Romans in chapter six, uh, chapter 5 and verse 6 when he said, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, here's the Gospel, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. He states the same proposition in verse 8 of chapter 5 and says this, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, read it with me, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You know, you don't have to get yourself all cleaned up before you come to God. You come as you are. And when God draws you, when He calls you by your name, you need to respond. I still remember the day when Christ uh, saved my heart. It was in that little country church in Eldred, Pennsylvania. There were about 45 people together in a revival service on a Thursday evening. And the evangelist had preached his heart out about this wonderful gift of salvation. And I was a young lad, 10 years old, 42 years ago. And how I felt the stirring of the Holy Spirit that night. And as the hundredth time of Just As I Am was being sung, the evangelist said, I just feel like there's somebody here tonight. Somebody who needs to open up their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I knew who that somebody was. It was me. And how I stepped out of that wooden pew and walked that tiny aisle down to the prayer rail that was stationed at the front. And there I opened my heart and life up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was saved by His grace. I remember the evangelist to telling me after he prayed with me and led me into the fold of God, I remember him saying, now, now Rick, I want you to to write this day. This is your spiritual birthday. I want you to write it on the front page uh, of your Bible. I still have that Bible. The old cross zipper has fallen off. The leather and binding are worn. But whenever... Satan's attack comes against me and tries to convince me that I'm not a child of God. I go to that shelf in my study and I pull that old Bible off the shelf and I open that Bible and there I read, Rick Crocker was saved by grace on that date 42 years ago. My dear friends, this is the first building block of the glorious gospel that we preach, that we teach, that we share. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But Paul tells us that not only did He die, but look at verse 4, he says, but that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, the Gospel is not just that Christ died. That's only going 50% of the way. That Christ died and He was buried and He was laid in a tomb and, and the stone was rolled in front of that sepulcher. But it tells us that the Gospel is made complete when on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. My friends, I, again, my basic thesis is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in human history. It's interesting to me that one of our nation's fathers, Thomas Jefferson, a great American statesman and an important founding father of our country, did not believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. You may not know that, but he was a religious rationalist. He was part of the school of thought called deism. The idea that God wound up the clock and then just set it on the dresser and, and just stepped back from it all. From a religious standpoint, Jefferson was a religious Rationalist, And because of that, he edited the Bible, a Bible of his own choosing, and he entitled it The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, because 
Jefferson did not believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ, he ended his edition of the Bible with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. This is how he ended his Bible. Jefferson edited the Scripture and said, There laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. The end. I praise God that my Bible does not stop there. Because just a few verses from where Jefferson stopped, we read in Matthew that after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. My dear friends, it's not enough to just start with that first building block that Jesus died for our sins. Finish the glorious gospel out. Jesus died for our sins, but he was also resurrected from the grave so that those who come to faith in Jesus Christ can boldly proclaim, Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O grave, is your victory? You see, for the Christian, for the one who's, who's accepted this wonderful working of God's grace in our life, we need not fear death because Christ has taken the sting out of death. We serve not only a redeeming Christ, but we serve a resurrected Christ who at this very moment is at the right hand of the Father on high interceding for you and me. A resurrected and living Christ. There's a tradition at the University of Chicago Divinity School. They have what they call Baptist Day. I don't know how the tradition began at this particular divinity school, but part of the tradition is to invite the divinity students to come and bring a picnic lunch and share the picnic out on the the grassy green outside the lecture hall. And then each year they invite a renowned theologian to come and speak to the theological students about some important uh, uh, religious or spiritual topic. So this one year, uh, on Baptist Day at the University of Chicago's Divinity School, they had invited the great theologian Dr. Paul Tillich. Dr. Tillich was well known for the many books that he had written. He was a renowned theologian. And for two and a half hours, imagine it, for two and a half hours, Paul Tillich attempted to prove that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was false. Yes, I said that right. That a Christian theologian was trying to prove that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was false. And in his two and a half hour lecture, he quoted uh, scholar after scholar and book after book. He spoke in the original language in the Greek and the Hebrew. And he concluded the thesis of his talk that day to those theological students was that there was no such thing as the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he boldly proclaimed that the resurrection of Jesus was religious mumbo-jumbo 
was groundless because it was based on a relationship with a risen Jesus who in fact never rose from the dead in any literal sense. And when he finished his two and a half hour lecture, he asked if there were any questions. And at the back of the auditorium, there was an older, dark-skinned man with white, snowy hair who stood up in the back of the auditorium. He spoke very deliberately in a southern accent. And he said, Dr. Tillich, I have but one question. All the eyes of those theological students tore turned toward that old man. And he reached into his lunch sack and he pulled out an apple and he began to eat that apple. He said, Dr. Tillich, and then he took a bite of his apple. My question is a simple question. He took another bite of his apple. Now, I ain't never read any of those books you've just talked about. He took another bite of his apple. And I can't recite the scriptures in Greek and Hebrew like you can. And he took another bite of his apple. And I don't know nothing about these fellows that you call Niebuhr and Heidegger. And he took another bite of his apple. And then as he finished his apple, he held up the core of his apple. But he said, Dr. Tillich, I have just one question. All I want to know is this. This apple I just ate, is it bitter or was it sweet? Dr. Tillich paused for a moment and he answered in his scholarly fashion. And he said, sir, I cannot possibly tell you whether your apple was bitter or sweet, for I haven't tasted your apple. And the white-haired preacher dropped the core of his apple into his crumpled lunch sack. And he looked up at Dr. Tillich and he said calmly, And neither, sir, have you tasted my Jesus. And over a thousand theological students stood up to their feet and applauded. And Dr. Tillich didn't know what to say. And he quietly sat down. My question to you this morning is this. Have you tasted Jesus? Has He satisfied the hungers and the spiritual thirsts of your heart and life? Are you saved from your sins? Do you know that without Christ that you are lost eternally, you are bound for hell? Are you forgiven? Are you trusting not in your own works, but in the gracious workings of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross. I don't know if you heard it last night, but I thought it was a compelling conversation between Pastor Rick Warren and Senators Obama and McCain. You may have all kinds of opinions about Saddleback Church. You may have all kinds of opinions about Pastor Rick Warren and what they're doing there. You may have all kinds of opinions about Obama and McCain. I'll not share mine publicly. But I thought the conversation with both gentlemen last night was compelling. 
I particularly appreciated the fact that it was a debate without debate, particularly on one thing. And I don't know where either of these gentlemen stand, just take their word at their word. But both of them, in their separate responses, as much as said, that Jesus died for my sins, and I am forgiven. Friends, that's the bottom line. Have you trusted in the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Are you forgiven? Are you cleansed? Do you know what your eternal destiny is? Can you point to a time in your life Like I can, 42 years ago. Can you point to a time when you humbled your heart before God and you invited Him to come in as Savior and Lord? If not, I want to say to you today, that opportunity is extended to you just now. And I call you back to the central tenets of our Christian faith. That if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, if He's calling you by name today, I would urge you there's nothing more important There's no greater priority, in my opinion, than you responding to the call of God to you today. And even as God, by His Holy Spirit, called out to that middle-aged man in our first service, Bob, today, and he found the grace of God in Christ, so can you. You don't need to wonder anymore. You don't need to doubt anymore. You need not deal with that lack of peace in your heart and life anymore. But you can come, just as you are, to the Savior and trust in His mercy and grace. And so as we close our time together in the Word this morning on on this glorious gospel, I'm going to ask us to, to pray. And we're going to sing in a moment. And then I'm going to ask you to follow up and do something for me before we leave. But I would like us to pray right now. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and, and just spend a moment between you and God. This is a holy and sacred moment. I'd prefer it if people not leave early, but just sit tight for a moment because I believe that there are some individuals in this room that have not tasted my Jesus. They've not experienced the sweet peace that God brings. They're still walking far away from God. They've not experienced God's mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. But if God by His Spirit is calling your name today, I would urge you, right where you are, right in that seat, God can hear your prayer to open your heart and life up to the Lord Jesus and trust unreservedly in His saving grace. And if you want to to experience His forgiveness and His saving grace. Pray a prayer like this in your own heart to God. Dear Lord Jesus, I indeed am a sinner, spiritually lost, a wandering soul. This morning I respond to the call of your Spirit on my heart and life, and I open my life up to your your saving grace. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again to pay for my sins and to bring me new life. Today, Lord Jesus, I trust not in my own righteousness, 
Because my righteousness is like filthy rags, but today I trust in the righteousness of Jesus. And I ask you to come in to save me, to cleanse away my sin and my rebellion, and to make me a new creature in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me and rising again that I might have life, that life more abundant and eternal life. Father, today I pray that if there are individuals in this room who have prayed that prayer, that you would just seal that commitment that they've just made through prayer and you, by your Holy Spirit, would bring a witness to them that indeed they are forgiven, they are cleansed, and they are your child. That their names have been written in your book and nothing can pluck them out of your divine hand. We know, Lord, that as they do, that the Word tells us that there are angels in heaven who are rejoicing over a lost one who's come home. And we rejoice too. And pray that you will bless them in their new found walk and that they might grow and flourish as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Thank you for these central truths that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and lives forevermore. All praise and honor to your great name. Amen.